Hello, everyone, and welcome to Locked on Guardians. I am your host, Jeff Ellis, formerly 24-7, formerly of Scout, now all of Locked on. I want to thank you for making Locked on Guardians your first listen today and every day, free and available on podcasting platforms, apps, and services. I've been doing this for over 600. I didn't make a big deal about episode 600 because I didn't realize that I had crossed that valley. Uh, I think I'm intentionally saying valley as I'm looking at information here. Not so much looking at it as I have stuff up for Wade Townsend. If you can figure out why I have Wayne Townsend, baseball player, not cricketer, up, you might uh, be able to figure out what this podcast episode is going to be about. Uh, we're going to talk some news, then we're going to dive into some draft talk as we're doing once a week right now on the show. And after that, if we have time, we'll continue looking at prospects who didn't uh, pay off, as it were. So let's talk about the news of the day, and the news of the day will lead into the draft piece, just Hold on, stick with me here. Uh, I know you might think news of the day. I'd be talking about Robbie Ray, Corbin Burns winning the Cy Youngs. You know that is news. That is interesting. Uh, Rasiel Iglesias rejecting the qualifying offer. Uh, you know I don't know about that decision. <laughs> I he's 32. What is a reliever who's going to cost you a draft pick really going to get? Uh, we've seen a lot of guys kind of fringy like him end up having to wait till the season begins. You know, I was 100 percent wrong though. I criticized the Angels for doing that. Good call by them. Uh, I was wrong. They were right. Uh, Brandon Belt, the only one to accept the qualifying offer. I also got that incorrect. I thought guys never really had a chance to strike out there. He was relatively healthy for a year. Uh, he's getting up there. I, I thought he would easily reject it. Nope, he went for security, which you get. It's a weird time to be a baseball anything. Uh, the other interesting bit of information for the day, Justin Verlander signs a one-year $25 million contract with uh, the Houston Astros to remain. This is interesting because much like uh, Nolan Syndergaard, he has not pitched in a while. Now, at peak, Verlander was better than Syndergaard, but the difference is Syndergaard is uh, almost 10 years younger, I want to say. Verlander last pitched in 2020 when he threw six innings. He is currently 38 years old. He will be 39 in February. 39-year-old pitchers who have thrown three pitches in the last uh, two years, $25 million is a lot. And I think he's got a player option on the end of it. I mean, it's uh, it's it's weird. I, I thought that was a high amount. You know, the talk was earlier in the day that the Yankees had offered him 10 that he should just take the qualifying offer, and somehow he got significantly more. Um, it's weird. I don't know really what to make of it. Uh, it's, it's very weird. I, I just, at his age, with the missed time, I understand he was, and he was brilliant before that. You go back to 2019, 2018, uh, those were great years, age 35 and 36, when he had some additional help. And I just, I can't get over the fact that, like, I mean, he looked in 2014 at age 31 done. He looked like the Tigers had rode his arm, uh, so rough before that, that he had had so many innings, you know, he batters faced, he he faced almost a thousand batters in 2009. Uh, He led the league in innings. I mean, he was a absolute horse. He is a future Hall of Famer, but he just looked beat up. He looked like all that wear and tear was going to get to him. And then he figured it all out, rejuvenated himself, became a great, great pitcher again. But I, you know, age 39, that, that's you're looking at like Roger Clemens like who's the example who succeeded that was not like a soft tossing lefty who just 
when their velocity dipped a little, they, they were already not really relying on velocity to begin with. It's, it's an uphill climb. But because of that information with Justin Verlander, I thought it's the perfect day to discuss the 2004 MLB draft, where Justin Verlander was the first college arm taken, but was not the first college arm on the boards. He actually got the third highest bonus of any uh, college pitcher in that class. It is a weird class. It is a, I don't know if I want to say wonderfully weird class, but maybe. Uh, this was before we did a good job of realizing uh, universities and their individual problems with, uh, you know, some universities essentially ruined players' careers. Uh, and that is very much the case in this draft class. We'll get into that as well. Uh, the Indians' best pick came super late uh, in the draft. We're talking in the 40s. Their top of uh, the first round and second and third round picks don't have much to show for. Uh, we'll dive into all that fun stuff on the show today. Quick note, uh, if you did want to get Guardians gear, you know, I said that it's coming. They got this deal done because they want Guardians gear out there ready for Black Friday. It's 9 a.m. Friday. You'll be able to go get some. I'm curious to look at it. I might be getting some Guardians gear myself. Uh, I'm undecided kind of want to see what it looks like I, I again i am totally fine with the rebrand i have stated that many times i don't love the imagery and i know there's people out there like we talked about yesterday's show who are like oh the roller i don't like the roller derby imagery either uh i i think there's ways to do it well and interesting and i i don't feel like anyone has quite captured that yet hopefully eventually they will figure that out uh but yeah so if you want gear friday is the time to go get some uh, for your Cleveland Guardians. You might notice the podcast has rebranded now that everything is official and set up. This is now the Cleveland Guardians podcast. If that offends you, well, that's kind of ironic in a way, right? Because people who'd be offended that they changed the name are the ones who are not offended by the offensive name. So there's some irony there. Not that I want anyone to tune off. Uh, I want to thank everyone who listens. Again, if you missed the show earlier in the week, I uh, have been pushing this whole idea of breaking the top 100 MLB podcasts, and we did it. We crossed that threshold. We are there. We uh, we were 98th. So keep pushing. Keep helping out, doing your part. And we're going to come back in one moment and talk about the 2004 MLB draft, where the Indians drafted a player who was supposed to be the next Glavin. And unfortunately, they got a player who is more Mike than Tom Glavin. Let's take a moment and talk about one of the fantastic sponsors that helps keep this show going and keeps me hosting 600-plus episodes. And that today is betonline.ag. We've been talking about them for a year. They've been a constant sponsor of our show. If, you know, online betting is your game, if you are someone who knows the in and outs, you got to go to BetOnline. First of all, you get a 50% welcome bonus when you use the promo code Locked On. And their website is back and better than ever. A new web interface for the start of basketball season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head over to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, I bet they're going to have some baseball uh, props, NHL, boxing, and UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games and poker. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2021 and beyond. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the games start. So the 2004 MLB draft, the first pick in the draft belonged to the uh, San Diego Padres. They took the local kid, Matt Bush. Uh, 
he had some struggles off and on the field, I want to say. Uh, it was not, I rem- this is the thing, like, I always, I'm like, oh, when did I start following the draft? Like, I remember reading about these guys. I had takes on draft day about this class. I knew stuff. I must have been reading, like, Callus and Sickles back then. I mean, I know I was. I, I discovered Sickles, like, junior or sophomore year of, I think sophomore year of college. It was not freshman year, but I can sit there. I'm, I'm living in Taylor Tower at Ohio State, and yes, I lived in Taylor Tower all four years of college. We went to Ohio State, uh, Eighth, ninth floor, eighth floor, ninth floor, ninth floor. Uh, you know, I still can think of all of my room locations. Uh, some somewhere got the room number I took my senior year. Uh, but yeah, I was that kid. Uh, I lived in the dorm, and I remember just sitting there in the dorm with those old desks, with the the reading lamp that I currently um, might be sitting on my desk that uh, happened to find its way out of the dorm, and I was sitting there like so excited when I'd see a new sickles thing pop up in the corner on ESPN and I would read his pieces and the same with Callis. So I had some takes, I had some thoughts on this draft class. And this class is a really interesting one for a lot of reasons. This was back at the point in time where teams were drafting relievers way too early because, hey, they're safe, they'll get to the big leagues quickly, we can count on them. Uh, Then a series of them bombed and we're like, okay, maybe that's not the case. Uh, this one had uh, Bill Bray and Josh Fields. Were the no Josh? Oh, this is Josh Fields, the third baseman, not Josh Fields, the pitcher. But uh, this one had Bill Bray was one of those guys who was supposed to be very quick to the majors. Uh, in terms of the draft class, after Bush, you have pitchers going with picks two through seven. Verlander was the number two player in this class at Old Dominion. Let's see, do I still have open my Old Dominion stats here? Uh, and University, you know, not really known for... I mean, they've been in the news for their own sets of things of recent uh, Lee there, but Daniel Hudson's the number two guy at 6.6. Then Paul Mitchell from 1971, who I don't know. Ryan Yarborough, who's still pitching in the big leagues now. Uh, Wayne Gomes, I remember him. Connor Overton, he just signed today with somebody, I want to say. Uh, he's out there. Kevin Bierce. I thought Kevin Bierce was better than that. Kevin Bierce, by the way, twice drafted by the Indians, uh, 86 and 87. So, you know, there's been some guys, and they've, they've had a lot of players get drafted, but those are the ones who have been successful uh, in the big leagues. I mean, Verlanders blows the rest of them away. And he's the second overall pick uh, to the Tigers. The Indians are picking sixth, and it is, you know, there's a high school pitcher taken right before to Mark Rogers to the Brewers. I feel like I just read about him uh, relatively recently. I'm like, what was that story where I read? But uh, Jeff Neiman uh, was the a big name. I mean, he was... So here's the thing. Let's just get into it. Rice University destroyed arms. They just 100%. There could be like a, a class action lawsuit against that university uh, for 20 years, 30 years of just utter destruction of pitchers' arms. But in the top eight picks of this draft class, Phil Humber, Jeff Neiman, Wayne Townsend, all from Rice. Uh, Neiman got the second highest signing bonus. The The highest signing bonus in this class was a tie. And it was to Stephen Drew and Jared Weaver. And this is back in the day, too, where the top player didn't always go one. Teams sometimes were not willing to meet the signing demands. And Weaver went to the Angels at 12. And Stephen Drew went to the Diamondbacks at 15. Because they both wanted $4 million. That was the high bonus in this draft. They got the same one. In today's draft, those guys would have gone 1-2. Uh, 
Verlander would have... Well, there is talk the Tigers had Verlander. So, I mean, the, here's the thing. Verlander... And, you know, Bush was like a high upside. But he eventually made it back as a reliever. But maybe he still goes one. But there's... Uh, you know, like I said, we can heat all here. But very good chance Stephen Drew goes one. That if And it, this is like now with the slotting system. He's one. There's a, I think Verlander was the Tigers guy. But... The Mets probably then jump all over Jared Weaver, who most people thought was going to be the top uh, college pitcher in this class. And when you look at War, by the way, for this draft class, I mean, Verlander crushes the field, but two is uh, Weaver. Drew ended up fifth in between Neil Walker and Gio Gonzalez from this class. Other guys, hi. Uh, there's another one of those relievers, Hudson Street, Billy Butler, Phil Hughes. Those are the guys who accumulated over 10 uh, I know I have not mentioned the Indians pick yet as I'm moving around talking about it, so let's let's just get into the Indian selection. They have the sixth pick in this draft. It is one of the three times they pick in the top ten selections since uh, the year 2000, and they take Jeremy Sowers. And, uh, you know, I've talked about Sowers in depth. We have already spent a lot of time on that pick, why it didn't work out, and, you know, why he was a, a, a bust. We talked about that very recently on the show. And you have to talk about signing bonuses. I've already talked about it a little bit. Sowers got the seventh highest signing bonus. Only Mark Rogers, who went one pick before him, signed for less uh, amongst those high selections. Uh, also mentioned that, you know, Weaver and Drew fell. I mean, they wanted $4 million each. Sowers got $2.475 million. Uh, Homer Bailey, who was pit one pick after Sowers, got two point three. Yeah, there was not, uh, there was not a lot of guys who got north of two million dollars in this class but that's i mean that's part of the reason like the indians did not take the top player on their board likely i mean it, it's hard to believe and not to say that sowers was not deserving of that pick at the time he was deserving like most people thought he was going to be a top 10 selection but it did feel like very much a very indians type of pick and it just didn't work out uh we talked about you know in an ideal world they draft jared weaver there i mean that's that is clearly the number two player in this first round uh, but he still, Sowers has the 16th best war in this first round of uh, 41 selections. So for as bad as it was, it could have been a lot worse. They have something to show for him. Uh, future Indian, Zach Jackson, uh, who, gosh, what trade was that with the Blue Jays? I feel like he was like a, was he the CC deal, like a third or fourth piece in that deal? Was that the trade? Top of my head. Yeah. Hey, I can remember things. Uh and then he was sent to the Blue Jays, back to the Blue Jays, by the Cleveland Indians as part of a conditional deal. Conditions must not have been met because the Indians never got anything else in that one. But yeah, good old uh, Zach Jackson went uh, 32nd in this draft. Uh, he had some time in the big leagues with the Indians. So that is a, a future uh, future Indian. I have to talk about the fact that in this first round, we talked about the three pitchers from Rice all of them being disappointments, all of them dealing with injury histories, all of them basically being ruined by their time at Rice University. Wade Townsend stands out because he's the eighth overall pick in 2004. He has an agent and basically gets declared ineligible to continue negotiating. So he goes back, finishes a degree at, at Rice, does not pitch at all, and the next year in 2005, he's the eighth overall pick to Tampa. So Tampa takes Neiman and Wade Townsend in back-to-back years, a pair of damaged arms from Rice, 
part of the reason why Tampa had so many struggles early on. Their draft picks were very questionable when they first came in as an expansion. I mean, Neiman was a solid pick at the time, but they spent 3.2. They should, I mean, just spend 800000 more at that point to get a Weaver, get a Drew, especially Stephen Drew. Like, Stephen Drew was a big-time prospect. He was, he. I mean, he, he's a disappointment. I mean, he played in 1,268 games, and he has a career OPS of 741 as a shortstop and second baseman, but he's a bit of a disappointment. He was viewed as, like, just a step shy of being generational. And as a Florida State product, like, it it just would have helped. Like, pay that little bit more, get the college performer at shortstop who's a, a Florida, like, that was the way to go there. But, uh, you know, even Neil Walker, it's like he was the 12th, or no, I'm sorry, he was the 11th overall pick to the Pirates. The the lesser part, Phil Hughes was the 23rd overall pick. Gio Gonzalez was 38th, and Hudson Street was 40th. But a lot of the early picks were where the success was. So what happens for the Indians? Round two, I had forgotten about Justin Hoyman. Uh, he got 725000 That is not an insignificant amount from the Cleveland Indians. Uh, he then pitched two years in the minors. That's it. 14 games for a guy who was the second overall or second round pick, a high second round pick, 47th overall. And I just spent about 47 minutes trying to dig up more on Hoyman. Uh, fascinating in regard that he was a soccer player in high school who had to go to JUCO to get a chance to go to Florida. Pitched really well. Probably was overused there. Had an elbow issue. Uh, after the 2005 season, he has a ligament issue that limits him in the 2005 season, just like 48 innings, and then just never pitches again in the in the minors. It, health for him was uh, was the holdup. And for a guy who really didn't play in high school, got overused in college, you know, there was a there was high ceiling, there was high upside to him. But he comes in, he's drafted in 2004, throws 13 innings you know, had the elbow issue, comes in 2005, he's in Lake County, uh, has good peripherals. I mean, he's not really missing a ton of bats. It's not like you're getting super excited, but he's interesting, uh, especially as a guy who's not pitched much. 48 innings that year, and that's the end of his career. Uh, he would try and would officially retire in 2008. So it health is obviously a massive issue there. Round two, how did that turn out? Well, you got Dustin Pedroyer, Hunter Pence, Giovanni Gallardo, Kurt Suzuki, Justin Fargus and Seth Smith. Uh, Gallardo was the only one who was taken before the Indians could have drafted. So, yeah, there was a lot of good players in round two. One might argue that there was more success in the second round than the first round. Now, for the Indians, they were able to get a future big leaguer in the third round. Ohio State's own Scott Lewis. So they went college pitcher, college pitcher, college pitcher. Hoyman was at Florida. And uh, Lewis was an interesting player, but... Let's see, he's the sixth best war in the third round, which is not bad when you have the sixth overall sixth overall pick. The players that perform better, Wade Davis, Adam Lind, Ian Desmond, and J.A. Happ. Uh, Wade Davis is the only one who would have been off the board for the Indians with that selection. Uh, overall, I mean, the interesting thing, though, is most of these guys are pretty low in terms of monetary, the cost sign. The Mariners spent $2.239 million on Matt Tuyasupo, who I'm assuming is related to the quarterbacking Tuyasupos. And I vaguely remember him, the shortstop prospect, out of 155 games in the majors. That's a massive bonus for the, third round, for, yeah, for the third round to give to a player. I mean, that is the Cubs gave Grant Johnson 1.26 in round two. 
2.25, that overall would have put him higher than Mark Rogers. That would have given him about the, uh, you got those two guys, so seventh, uh, tenth highest bonus in the entire draft in the third round. So that's kind of interesting just in that regard. We're going to come back and talk a few more Indians draft picks and eventually get to that very successful pick that they made at the end of the draft. Built bar. I love it. I eat it. I had, I've been, I've been going back to the grasshopper fudge. I still have some of those left and that has been a favorite. You can't order that right now. I have been having the pumpkin. I still enjoy that. That you can order. There's the mystery flavor. You can win a prize. If you go to builtbar.com, use the promo code locked 15, figure out the mystery. Plus it's on sale since it's a mystery and you don't know what it is. So you save even more money on that one. There are always deals. It's always changing. Uh, I have to, I have to wait and be like, okay, you bought the banana cream. You bought the pumpkin. We'll see what comes this holiday season that makes me jump. I'm, it's always going to be fun. It's always going to be delicious. There's never been a flavor of Built Bar that I've eaten and been like, ugh. I have always finished my boxes, and I will continue to. It is a great product. It is the best tasting protein bar I have ever had. I mean, I'm basically on this level. I put my money where my mouth is. I buy this product because I love this product because I use this product because I think it is a good product. I also use the promo code LOCK15 to save that 15%, and I build up my Built Bucks so I continue to get even greater deals there. Go to BuiltBar.com, use that promo code to save money and to help us out, and help yourself out with a delicious tasting protein bar that'll fill you up and give you energy for the day. So let it continue this trek in the fourth round. The Indians take Chuck Lofgren, another player. That is two players in this draft who we recently talked about on, you know, the busts, the high-named value draft pick, Junipero Serra, Junipero Serra High School, a absolute factory uh, one of the top high school programs in the country. Lofgren was a really interesting guy. He was a top prospect for a while. It did not work out for him. 650000 uh, was a high amount of money. It was the first non-college player they took. That 650000 was the highest in the entire round. Uh, second highest was three hundred seventy-five. So they went significantly over slot. Unfortunately, didn't work out. Uh, Chris Iannetta, far and away the top player, followed by Casey Jansen and old friend alert Ryan Webb. Also, Lou Marson in this round in terms of the old friend alert. Uh, Lofgren never made it to the big leagues. Moving to the fifth, Mike uh, Butia. I didn't remember him out of James Madison. I'll be honest. He is not someone that's stuck in my mind. Uh, Jake McGee is really the only player of note uh, in terms of... Though I did just see that Sean Casimir Jr. retired like yesterday, so uh, a recent tie in that regard. In terms of Butia himself, 210000 He got a decent amount for this round. Uh, he kicked around through 2008, but was mostly a backup from the beginning. Uh, didn't do a whole lot. Was you know, limited at 64, 99 games, 62 games. Uh, he got cast pretty quick into that role. Cody Bunkelman is a player, I remember. The Juco pitcher had a chance as a reliever, as I recall, moving through the system uh, during those times. Benzo Brist. Clay Meredith was an interesting reliever for a time, but uh, I mean, this is this round is all about Ben Zobrist, who got just fifty-five thousand. He was, you know, Bunkelman was cheaper than him uh, with that selection. Moving on to the seventh, the Indians took uh, Mark Jackman out of Stanford. No memory of him. Seventh round didn't really produce anything. In the eighth round, I'll, I'll do the top eleven rounds as I always do with these. Uh, the Indians took Justin Peckerkirk at the University of Nebraska. Uh, not much overall in that round either. Moving on to the ninth, 
the Indians take Chris Nielsen at the University of Notre Dame, and they gave him over 100000 I think he's the one of like two players to get a bonus over 100000 in the ninth round. This is where they start to drop. So they liked him a lot. Uh, not much to show. Troy Patton, who I think I more remember uh, for being a successful pitcher in some OOTP 05 leagues I was in than his actual performance. Mike Carp, some people, including myself, I think I want to say liked him as a potential first baseman uh, for the Indians at points in time. Tenth round, we jump to uh, Ronaldo Alciano, who they failed to sign. And in terms of that, Stephen Pierce failed to sign. He would have been the big name there. Sam Fold is the productive player who actually signed. And then the 11th, because that's always where occasionally you see someone interesting. Michael Saunders, the pitcher for the Mariners. Uh, the Indians in that round took Brian Logan out of Arena High School, who also failed to sign. Rather than go through all of the rounds, is that would get rather boring very quickly. Though they took Jason Denham, I have to po- Denham, I have to point out uh, in the thirteenth round as an outfielder at a Deer Valley High School. I believe that is Dan's brother. Uh, Deer Valley, I, I want to say that's where uh, Dan Denham went to, was from as well. Let me just check that Antioch High School. Uh, yes, so they took his. They took Dan in 2001 with the 17th overall pick. And they took his brother in uh, 2004, three years later, with the 377th overall selection. Uh, he stuck around through 2008, mostly as a backup type. Um, not much more to say on that, uh, but just stood out again because I was like, oh, hey, that's, uh, that's, that's got to be his brother. And the 19th round, they strike gold find some success with uh, Chris Jimenez out of the University of Nevada. I mean, you got a catcher who played almost 400 games in the big leagues. That's that's success. Wyatt Torriagas out of Virginia Polytechnic Institute in the 24th round. I was kind of surprised to see he only ended up playing 22 games in the majors. He was a very, very good defender for the Indians. I I thought he would have stuck around at some point. He only got, he had that one seat, 2009 with the Indians, he got four more plate appearances in three games in 2011, and that was it. Uh, I know, you know, some behind baseball. He did a whole article when we were when I was at Indians Prospect Insider. You know, he kind of expressed some frustrations in an article we had once, and there was a general feel on the site that that actually came back to haunt him. That uh, the when it was posted, that someone came back and kind of said, "Oh, I wish I'd never posted that article." Because I think it, it led to some problems for Tori Agus. The Indians, this is back when they had Shopik. And I know I was like, okay, Shopik had that big year. Trade him now, sell high. Of course, the whole point is he had to do two years in a row to prove he wasn't exactly what everyone thought he was. It turns out he was. It was, you know, one good year. All the side stats showed that this was a guy who was going to bust hard. And that's what happened. I was hoping they would just move on to one of these two young kids as a backup. Unfortunately, uh, that didn't happen. And then the best player of the Indians draft, and it's kind of interesting, is Tony Sipp in the 45th round, uh, 1,333rd selection out of Clemson University, $130,000, which is a significant amount of money, but it's not a giant amount. He's not someone who got, you know, gobs and gobs, even that's a late pick. Uh, he was an interesting lefty, and I think some people didn't think he was necessarily going to be all that signable. Uh, there might have also just been confusion about draft eligibility. He was uh, pretty young for the class. He debuted at age 20. I believe he turned 
21 in July of that year. So sometimes, you know, that can cause some confusion. This was his third time being drafted. Uh, he had been drafted out of uh, JUCO and out of high school. So, no, everyone should have known. He was, he was a young junior, but he was, you know, definitely draft eligible. I want to say there was maybe an arm issue, and that was part of the confusion on him. I mean, Sip came in, he played well. He uh, he ended up pitching 11 years in the majors, 616 games. He, he bounced around, no doubt, but he was an effective major leaguer for a long time. An 11-year career, 5.1 war. You look at the entire rest of this class. I mean, the Indians' total war in this class is 7.3. He's 5.1 of it. Uh, he is far and away the best selection in this class. Said so you got two guys near the top who ended up being on our bust list. You have another guy who just couldn't get healthy ever. And then a lot of meh and a pair of backup catchers. And then Tony Sip, who again, a long career. And he threw hard for a lefty. And he was an effective pitcher. End of story. Nice pickup, especially in the you know the 40s in terms of rounds. Great pick by the Cleveland Indians. And did end up making that draft somewhat successful as... The entire rest of the class was backups or, you know, uh, temporary players. No one who really established themselves. I've been Jeff Ellis. This has been the Locked On Guardians podcast. Remember to rate and review, download daily. That all helps this little show continue to grow. Uh, I want to thank you all who are part of the team taking the ride, helping make this show get better and improve every day. Tomorrow will be Rule 5 heavy. Hopefully uh, we'll maybe have something happen. Because, <laughs> I, like I said, I want to say Friday is your deadline to set your roster. So that is a massive, important, and big deal. Thank you again for listening. Again, rate and review, download daily. And as I now say, go, go, Guardians, go.